physically, we, we pull away from moments that might lead us to have feelings, or we collapse within our nervous system, right? We get activated when there's big feelings, or we freeze, we shut down. And so either nervous system reaction keeps us from showing up to live life the way we want to, and can lead to more belly aches, more joint pain, more indigestion, more headaches, uh, on it, more food sensitivities, more depression, more anxiety, I mean, on and on. Secondary to the unhealed wounds in our psyche and their direct impact on our physiology via the vagus nerve. perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. We always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. This week, I'm excited, listeners, to introduce you to Maria Victoria Albina, who is a Latina functional medicine nurse practitioner, a nervous system expert, trains in sensory motor psychotherapy, and the host of Feminist Wellness Podcast. And... On that podcast, I loved the description. It says, offers empowering holistic medicine, psychology, and life coaching advice for smart women who believe they can live powerful, fulfilling lives with more self-worth, self-love, and true self-care. Equal parts nervous system science and witchy woo. Victoria (laughs) brings it all together to help you see how your socialization, conditioning, and family blueprint are keeping you feeling stuck in life. And she says, if you're feeling ready to shake the codependent perfectionist and people-pleasing thoughts that keep you searching for external validation, putting yourself last and everyone else's needs and opinions of you first, then she's for you. And by golly, I know I am. We're going to have so much in common (laughs) because I was like, that description could probably be read for me as well. So welcome so much to the show. What can you tell us more about yourself and the work that you do? Oh my goodness. That bio is so thorough. What I, else? I mean, I don't know your favorite color yet. Oh, no. I'm really into like a teal, like a very specific, like the sort of furthest out you can see of the Caribbean when you're standing on the beach, right? Like a rich robin's egg plus sky blue. Like if they had a baby, that kind of Caribbean blue. What about you? What does it say about us people who have like a shade that we're going to tell people is our favorite color? I really a lilac, like a grayish light purple. Ooh, that's nice. Yeah. For a long time, I told people that my favorite color was black because really it's neutrals. Sure. But I love that. It feels very soothing to me, that lilac Mm, gray color. That's nice. But I would never tell someone my favorite color was purple. So what is that? What's I I think it says we're high maintenance and that's okay. I'm going to own that. Sure. (laughs) High maintenance or like, you know who you are, you know what you like, and you're not scared to own it. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So what did my introduction not include? What brought you to the work that you do today? Maybe would be a better question to ask. Mm, Yeah. I recognized after many years of practicing medicine, practice as a primary care provider, practicing holistic medicine, functional medicine. I had a private practice in Manhattan doing functional medicine with a focus on the gut. I realized uh, I was really treating trauma. And so much of what we're treating in Western medicine are the lingering effects of stress, distress, and trauma in the nervous system, the somatic impact of our lived experience showing up in our physiology, showing up as headaches, as bad period pain, as camp poop, as poops too much, as heartburn, as slow motility in the gut, as food sensitivities, as on and on. One key thing, a thread through that we can see with so many of the chronic diagnoses so many of us are suffering with is the stress, stress, and trauma that's held in our nervous system because our nervous systems love us. I have found myself 
100% on that journey. A little bit about me, but I started in the wellness space almost 15 years ago Mm. through kind of a weight loss and dietary lens, realized how harmful that was, went down nutrition, became kind of food obsessive, um, health type mindset, and realized that all of it was still working around a lot of the traumas and feelings and stresses in my life that I really wasn't dealing with. And it's interesting how many people since kind of that realization and experts that I've had on the show who are now within recent years being able to show through medical literature a lot of what you're saying, right? That our bodies, not surprisingly, hold on to the emotional pain. And it wasn't until I was a foster mom Mm. helping people, helping teenagers with complex post-traumatic stress disorder and seeing how that played into their overall wellness and read the body meets no keeps the score thank you Mm -hmm. that I was like oh this applies to like everybody this is not just foster Mm. children and so now this audience of listeners has kind of been on that ride for a long time who also have autoimmune disorders and different sort of things that are learning to educate themselves on these things but also trying not to be um too hard on ourselves or too overwhelmed Mm. by all the things right because now we're like oh well now I also have to one more thing I have to think about or worry about so I'm wondering maybe you could give a little perspective on your own because you've had your own health journey you've had your own trauma history with immigration like all of that kind of stuff maybe if you could paint a picture for us of what that could look like and what to look forward to like where you're at now well, so let me separate those into to two different sort of things. Yeah. So some ways to start seeing this invitation to shift towards looking at our health through the lens of the nervous system. Yeah. And then I can share what my life is like now because it's pretty rad, my life now, I must say. So Ooh, it, it is. Let me just pause to be like, it is a whole lot when you are on like constant elimination diets and constantly trying new supplements and doing another poop test or another pee test or like another dried urine. Like it's a lot. So I just want to like, it's a lot. So thinking of like, well, oops, now I have to add this too. I hear you. Fo- it's a lot. I get it. And what we've there has been a cultural misunderstanding that is a, in opposition to the evidence base in the literature, in the scientific and psychological literature. We've been taught to believe in the talk therapy model, which says you have to start in the dark alley and tell the horrors of what happened moment by moment, line by line, and you have to relive it over and again in order to heal. And we know not only is that not true, it is harmful, right? It can often be quite harmful because it's we're making our nervous systems literally live it again, right? Which dysregulates us more. And so what we know is that it's not just being with our nervous systems with the pain that helps them to heal. It's showing our nervous systems that we can be safe in joy in pleasure, in peace, in calm, in gratitude, not BS gratitude, for realsies gratitude. Yeah. And that we can hold ourselves in loving care and allow just a little bit of goodness in, and that can be safe. And so what's happening is instead of focusing on the negative and focusing on the trauma, we focus on bringing the nervous system peace and allowing the medial frontal cortex of the brain, which is our watcher, our awareness, our third eye. Again, science woo, yes, is my, when, when given the option, I'll say yes. That part of our brain holds the keys to understanding if an experience of life is scary, oh my gosh, run away. Or it's like, very nice, thank you. I'd like some more. 
And so when we allow ourselves to hold the fact that we've had trauma, that we have these symptoms, we have this chronic pain, we have this challenging lived experience, and for the next 27 seconds, I'm just going to watch that butterfly and I'm going to see what it feels like in my body to just watch her land on the pretty purple lilacs, right? To see, watch her little proboscis just have a little nectar, just watch the sunshine. We're not negating our trauma, but we're showing our medial frontal cortex that it can be safe to be here and now with something that's pretty darn okay. Thank you. You see how we're also not BSing ourselves there and being like, and um, you just have to like have everything be wonderful to heal. No, pretty darn okay enough. Thank you is enough. Right. And so we aggregate those moments. And watching the butterfly might then take your eye to the fact that there's new flowers. Or if it's the autumn that the leaves are starting to turn and maybe your eye can find the brightest red one. You see where we're going? Is not pushing ourselves towards the ouchy or the amazing, but just getting present to right now. And it's additive, right? It's cumulative. You add it all up and it starts to show your nervous system that you can be safe in the present moment. You can be safe with yourself and you start to create a resource in your nervous system so that when your nervous system does start to dysregulate, to leave ventral vagal, which is the safe and social part of the nervous system where all our physiology operates uh, optimally, you start to leave that and you start to get worked up because you're, you had an old worry thought and you had an old, you start to spinny. There's one more line of code in your brain, right? There's one more little flag that says, hey, butterflies and lilacs. And your nervous system will desire to come back to homeostasis because that's what mammals want to do, right? And so every time you give yourself the opportunity to be at peace and really experience it, you are setting your nervous system towards a belief system around life that is the one most of us want, which is pretty darn okay most of the time, punctuated with your chihuahua dies or your, or you win the lot. Well, most people aren't happier when they win the lotto, but like you get whatever your A plus prize is. Right. So really starting to show yourself that beauty is available, joy is available, peace is available, can be in its way just as healing as the slog. I know I asked you to share a little bit about your story, yeah. but hearing this piece, I think it's, I also kind of want to add slash ask what I have notice we've talked previously about neural pathways right so yeah, while we're good. in the brain one of the things that comes to mind for me is this idea that like the butterfly is literally and figuratively this new neural pathway right it is it's not as deep and it's not the path that you've taken over and over again right but our bodies are going to even though we know logically that it's not safe if it's what we have established for ourselves as a coping mechanism even if we can say I know it's not healthy that I seek people in my life that are reflective of previous harmful relationships that I've had but somehow I keep going back to those right like that's the neural pathway that we've developed some maladaptive coping skill whatever it might be and when I hear you talk about the butterflies right it's literally a like floating by a new path. It's yep. ever so delicate, right? But that gives your brain that opportunity to, in that moment, do I really want to go down this path that I know isn't great for me? Or do I want to go down this path that does feel calm, that does feel good? Do I want to allow myself to do that? And yeah. I think the other part of the work is being able to tell yourself, yes, I'm deserving of that. Yes, I, I want to sit in the joy, right? right? Like those kinds of things are hard too. Right. Which is why I say, tell yourself you're, you deserve the okay enough-ish, right? Like I'm all about that incremental, like not even 1% more better like 0.2768% more better, right? 
Because, yeah, I deserve the joy. You're lucky this is a PG show. Am I right? My inner teenager would be like, yeah, right. But in more colorful Rhode Island based language. As I have four teenagers. So that yeah. language is very familiar uh-huh. to me. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but like, I deserve okay enough ish is easier to get to, right? And so we're setting our nervous system up for, I don't even want to say a win, for a not loss, right? And each not loss is a not failure. You see what I'm saying? Like, let's work with the negativity bias in the brain. Yeah, it's not reinforcing the negative. Right. It's not reifying the fact that you're horrifyingly terrible. You're like a a little bit okay, acceptable as a mammal today. So how do you get from that to where you are now, which you just self-described as pretty great, pretty wonderful or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. I probably used adjectives like dope or rad <laughs> because I am from the 90s. I think you and I are of a similar age. And I feel like now that we're fashionable again, also, can you even with like juicy couture's back and no. like the parachute pants? <gasps> but my favorite and listeners, I know we've told this joke before, but it never gets old. My children like to joke what was it like when dogs ran wild like that's their joke for me it's like <laughs> because who let the dogs out no because oh. like that's how old we are it's like the oh. dogs ran wild back w- that's before dogs were domesticated that's how old oh we are. wow like, yeah. yeah wow yeah well, I um, mean they're kind of not I, wrong we ran wild well that's true if I tell them things like I had to print out like a google map <laughs> to go someplace before i think didn't exist you had to ask jeeps (laughs) i think we can handle it on the smartphone like it's just it's eye roll for days so yes those are my days i was trying to explain to a kid recently a kid a 20 year old the other day a kid that why we had to drink out of the hose outside like they didn't understand that we weren't allowed in the house like summer just meant you're you can't come in here (laughs) <laughs> like what were the parents doing like my mom I mean not parenting kudos, kudos I mean my mom raised two very strong-willed children as a single mom so more power to her but like when she said leave the house and don't come home until don't. dark like what the street she, lights are on right yeah. what was she doing what was um, she doing who knows who knows? <laughs> we'll never know but we'll she, she know. had enough aquanet on to make her flammable <laughs> let me tell you what facts facts science folks Today's podcast is brought to you by Lumi. Founded by a female OBGYN, these body products address odor everywhere. Use code WholeView for $5 off the starter pack, which kiddo said, and I quote, I really like it. It works. Y'all, if you don't have teenagers, you might not understand the huge endorsement that is, but let me tell you, two positive sentences in a row is quite a feat. I actually got them the starter pack because they were having issues with irritation of other natural deodorants and they really liked the solid deodorant from Lumi for under their arms and also the body wash was helpful for them. No more irritation and now even though they may anxiously sweat they feel confident that they're not going to be stinky and one of the boys has been putting the lotion on there you would not believe how bad they are stinky feet and we couldn't believe it fixed the funk even through a hot summer. I have actually used Lumi myself for years from a lifetime of fluctuating weight, my skin sags, not to mention under my chest from nursing three babies. I put it basically anywhere my skin folds. I use the unscented cream deodorant and apply it just like lotion. Lumi is a pH optimized aluminum free deodorant that actually works and is safe enough for everywhere lasting a whopping 72 hours. I really don't know how they do it. And you can even put it on your lady bits. It is that safe. Body odor of any kind comes from bacteria on our body, on our skin. And while we couldn't live without these microscopic pets, we don't necessarily need all of them everywhere. So why do deodorants stop under the arms? Now we have a solution for pits, privates, and beyond and over 150,000 five-star reviews to prove it. 
Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with it all. A solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code WHOLEVIEW at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit L-U-M-E deodorant.com and use code WHOLEVIEW. I even used my own code to save on the bundle, which the value is over $50, and I got all four products for $29.98. So what do you do to make your life rad and awesome and dope? It's incremental, right? So like most of us, our my romantic relationships were the most challenging thing for my nervous system because, I mean, it makes sense, right? Our romantic relationships are where we project all of our wounding from our childhood and our nervous systems do something brilliant that sucks, stinks called re- reenactment. And so reenactment is literally what it sounds like. Our brains will do the thing that was really painful earlier in life with the hope and dream that it'll turn out more betterly this time. It doesn't. Just for the record, dear brains, cut it out. So how do we cut it out? By creating these new neural pathways. And so for me, recognizing that romantic relationships were the place I wanted to do the most work. How is that for diplomatic and self-loving? Because like I could have said where I was a hot mess, for example. And so I really started with friendships and building the skills that I wanted to have in my romantic relationships with my friends because it was a lot safer. So knowing what I needed and voicing it, horrible, horrifying, would likely lead to death and doom if you asked my brain, right? If you asked my nervous system. So I started doing it with my friends right? Setting boundaries. <laughs> Terrible idea. I mean, if you're my amygdala, the fear center of the brain, you're like, absolutely not available. Zero percent. There will be no boundaries here, right? On and on. I practice these skills with friends, often telling them exactly what I was doing, right? Like, okay, Sarah, I am going to set a boundary with you because I'm. I, it's this project I'm doing, right? I'm really scared to do this thing. So here we go. Right. And as a feminist, of course, finding friends who were, would consent to be part of my guinea pigs in my grand life reimagination schema experiment and starting to show my medial frontal cortex. So the medial frontal cortex, which is my favorite part of the brain, uh, but now I'm bragging, has this incredible thing called the amygdala break. So it has its like proverbial hand on a lever that keeps the amygdala, the fear center, quiet right? It's like, oh, you know what it's like? It's like it has its hands over the amygdala's eyes. So it can't see what's going on, right? In Spanish, we say, eyes that don't see, heart that doesn't feel. So it's like the amygdala isn't freaking out because it can't see what's happening. And then the medial frontal cortex is like, this is like that other scary time. And it takes its hand off of the amygdala's eyes and the amygdala freaks out and you're full of adrenaline, you're full of cortisol off to the races and sympathetic fight or flight activation, right? So we got to show the medial frontal. It's not so scary to set a boundary. It's not so scary. I just did it with Sarah and she was like, oh, okay. Cool. Want to go get ice cream? Like she was like chill. So it was not only not a crisis, but actually was like pretty great and like ended really well. And so you do that enough and enough and enough and enough. And listen, it took a lot of practice. I'm not out here. But eventually I could do it with a date, you know, and could do it more and more. And simultaneously in that process, coming into greater awareness through the body, through the soma, soma means body in Greek. And so somatics, the modality I practice is the exploration of the body, the understanding of the body as a site of great wisdom, right? As a really important teacher and really learning how to hold space for my own wisdom to come through my body, to really show me what I'm really feeling on the inside, 
which can be really challenging, especially when we grow up in codependent, perfectionist, and people-pleasing households, as I did. It can be really challenging to know what we're feeling, right? And to have those words and to really connect with it. And somatic practice has allowed me to hear it, not just from my brain, but from my body and to feel my emotions in my body. And so just giving myself the opportunity to really build more awareness like present moment to moment awareness of my body, my feelings, my wants, my needs, and to really honor that, which, okay. So if I'm just putting myself in the shoes of a listener who's like, okay, girl, but like what, how? So for me, well, for me, it always starts with the quotidian BS, right? Like that's where life happens. So you wake up in the morning. Do you actually want coffee? Are you just drinking coffee because you've always drank coffee because you, I don't know, you've always drank coffee. Like, do you maybe want tea? Or if you drink coffee, do you actually want it black? Or like, would a little half and half be a real delight? Do you know? I didn't. I was living completely unintentionally just from habit. And so I started with those little things. Like I would pour a glass of water and then I would hold it and I would say, do I actually want this? So I could start to feel what wanting feels like. So I could start to feel what a yes feels like or a no feels like, right? And I know it's ridiculous, but like pick up a rock and ask your body, do you want to eat this? Just to feel what like, ew, no. That's not going to be good for your teeth. (laughs) <laughs> this message brought to you by the please get more dental work film cast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I immediately like pictured because we were talking about the 90s also never ending story like rock muncher character. We guy. watched that the other night. It doesn't hold up. Yeah. It really doesn't hold up. I gotta tell you. So if you haven't, re- if you're from the 90s and you haven't rewatched it, maybe don't. Princess Bride holds up though. Oh my God, it holds up perfectly. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. Oh, reality bites. Really? Oh, don't, have you rewatched it? And I like, have. Yeah. The ending. She like gives up her whole life for some yeah. idiot dude. I'm like, yeah. Lainey. But we love to make fun of those. I, I just feel like the ending of all things 90s and early 2000s was relative to that. So. I mean, I think you're right. Yeah. I, so yes to listeners being like, okay, so exactly what is somatic practice? I think asking those questions is a great place to start. One of the ways that I've seen it work in therapy that um, I've started to do myself with some self-guided asks when Mm. I'm feeling escalated, right? And when I say escalated, that could be sad it could be angry it could be like any sort of extreme type of emotion so when I'm feeling those things I literally try to ask myself like what am I feeling in my body in this moment Mm -hmm. sure because oftentimes the root of my anger is really sadness right like I'm sad about something for whatever it might be and my body does not want to feel sadness because that doesn't feel good and so I turn it into anger and I push that on other people and what that does is push people away from me and reinforces the idea that I'm not worthy and then my sadness is reinforced like this is a terrible cycle that I and many other people have and so it's one of those things that I in those moments if I ask myself like what am I feeling what is my what am I feeling in my body right now and I'm able Mm -hmm. to catch myself before Mm -hmm. it rolls into all those things and I can do a breathing exercise or I can come back into myself those things I I guess I'm asking does that Mm. fall within somatic practice because it feels like where emotions meet physicality yes okay can you talk a, a little bit more about like exactly what somatic practices and how that differentiates from somatic experience approach, which has like a little trademark symbol next to it. Well, somatic experiencing is the work of Dr. Peter Levine and Kathy Kane and several others, but Peter Levine's like the big guy behind somatic experiencing, which I'm also trained in. And it's a really specific sort of protocolized modality for supporting folks in exploring their nervous system through the soma, through the body. Yeah. So that's what somatic experiencing itself is, whereas sensory motor psychotherapy is Pat Ogden's work. 
This podcast is sponsored by Indeed, the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And I have witnessed how robust but super easy it is to use as Cole has been interviewing using Indeed as his hiring platform of choice as he looks for his first formal full-time job as a chef. We are very different generations, yet he loves the ease of communicating on chat, and I love the tools and how well he is being matched to jobs. And I kid you not, he had a phone interview the same day he posted his resume. It moves that quickly with their instant match tool. Because Indeed has streamlined hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. And candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed Data. And I can tell you that is definitely true for Cole. Instant Match makes it so simple for employers and candidates alike. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a job post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash whole view. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com slash whole view. Just go to indeed.com slash whole view and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash whole view. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And what I think is really applicable, important, and useful for us to understand about somatics, which again is looking to understand the connection between mind and body, to it's a way, it's a, a series of uh, practices and modalities that support us in understanding how our mind and body are constantly talking to each other through our vagus nerve, the tenth cranial nerve, the longest nerve in the human body, and. What's really important to understand is that all of our lived experiences get imprinted into our physiology. Now, some just wash away, right? Like if you go to the supermarket and it's totally fine and nothing really happens, it doesn't imprint. But let's say you go to the supermarket and someone starts screaming at you, right? Out of nowhere, that will imprint in our physiology. Same too, right? If you go to the supermarket, like The other day I went to my local Hannaford's and Patty, who checked me out, was incredibly kind. It's been like 10 days and I literally remember that her birthday is August 9th because she was so lovely. Shout out to her. But, you you know, so our mind, well, but let's stay with that. I was about to go away from that. But in that moment of Patty being just so darn lovely, that led my nervous system to have an uptick in physiologic awesomeness right? Because she, that was a beautiful moment of social engagement. My nervous system started working optimally. My cognition was optimal. I was thinking real sharp. I wrote a real good podcast when I got home from the supermarket. My digestion was soaring along. My thyroid was doing great. I mean, presumably, right? The evidence would point to, but like every part of my body was humming because the social engagement system in my body had a positive interaction with another mammal. And that's what we want as humans, right? We're pack animals. We're always looking to everyone else's nervous system to let us know if we are safe or not. And Patty made me feel not just safe, but really connected in with community. She's a real champion. Let me tell you what. I hope you wrote like a Google Yelp review or whatever you need to do for dear Patty. I sure I did. But I also went immediately to the customer service desk and I love doing this. I was like, hi, I need to see a manager. And they're always <laughs> like, oh crap, we're about to have a Karen moment. And when the man, I keep a like pretty serious, somber face. And then when the manager gets there, I'm like, hi, I need to talk to you about Patty. And they're like, really? And I'm like, cause she needs a raise. And they're always like, but it's fun. I love getting the manager for compliments. I probably do it like at least once or twice a month. 
Why good, not, right? Good plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's good for the nervous system and the world. So that's that positive re- interaction, right? And my body felt great after that conversation. Now, the mind-body connection can also mean that when we have a challenging conversation, when we have a not patty moment, right? This morning I tried to make a doctor's appointment. The woman on the phone was so rude. I hung up crying and my partner's going to call and make the appointment for me tomorrow. But yeah, right. I actually just felt my nervous system going to freeze a little bit after bringing that up. Why? I feel like medical receptionists are one of the most important people on the planet, right? It's your first interaction with what should be a healing experience. And they're often just the meanest, (laughs) coldest. And while we're talking about negative experiences, I can imagine that they've had a lot of negative experiences of people who have had bad news in the medical office and taken it out on them. Right. So it's like this. Oh yeah. Well, the other day I intercepted an email to my staff from someone who was grumpy about something. And this woman had gone off on my team. And the second I stepped in, it was all sunshine and roses. And as a primary care provider, that would happen. Like I'd get slacked right from my front desk being like, you have to come out here. Your patient's irate. And I'd go out and like, they'd go from screaming to like, oh, hi. As soon as they saw the white coat, it's, it's shocking. That's a whole other ball of wax. I mean, let's, to refocus us, our body does keep the score. So when things happen in life, they're written into our physiology and can present in a majillion, bajillion ways. So I had chronic IBS and GERD heartburn. The reasons why I mean, it's multifactorial, I had a parasite, I had a bacterial overgrowth, right? Like there were bugs involved. And the reason I stayed so sick for so long was largely because my digestion was slowed and the motility in my gut was slowed down to a crawl because of stress, distress, and trauma, which as someone who's treated thousands of people with IBS, that's often the case, right? Is that the nervous system at some point had trauma that sent the signal into the body that the human's not safe. And so I have a question for you, Stacey. If you uh, were being chased by a lion and he was quickly closing in on your heels, would you stop to digest the cheeseburger you had just eaten? No, I can't say. I I imagine that it looks a lot like the zebra that's running that I use the phrase everything out, right? Like everything out of the system because we're lightening the load right now. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So some bodies, everything out and some bodies just stop the works up. Right. And either way, it is our physiology's reaction to life being lifey. Right. And so one thing is when life is lifey in our adulthood and we have this complex human brain, but when we're little children's right? We have no way to understand grownups being poopy heads or life being lifey other than to just decide that we must be the problem. Because when we're children's, we understand that we are profoundly dependent on our adults. And so if our parents do some bonehead thing, we decide that we must be the problem because it's safer. It feels safer in our nervous system than deciding that they're the problem. So if no one helps us to see, my love, you're not the problem. Your grown-up reacted in a way that was suboptimal or wasn't the kindest, whatever. Then we move on from being a little kid to being a teenager. And then a person in our 20s, our 30s, our 40s, our et cetera who believes that we're the problem or believes that we're no good or believes that there's something wrong with us, whatever that childhood story is, that people aren't safe, that we shouldn't have big feelings, that feeling our feelings is dangerous, on and on. And so when something comes close to that wound, we flinch. It might be like physically, we, we pull away from moments that might lead us to have feelings or we collapse within our nervous system, right? We get activated when there's big feelings or we freeze, we shut down. And so either nervous system reaction keeps us from showing up to live life the way we want to and can lead to more belly aches, more joint pain, more indigestion, more headaches, uh, 
on and more food sensitivities, more depression, more anxiety. I mean, on and on secondary to the unhealed wounds in our psyche and their direct impact on our physiology via the vagus nerve. So I think like that's the nugget of, of everything, right? We could have a mic right? drop moment of that. Yeah. Because we know from countless scientific resources that stress is the absolute worst thing we can put on our body. Yeah. Yet nobody talks about what that mechanism is and how we can try to stop it other than just like, hey, try to live a less stressful life. And the thing that I found is that as someone who grew up a perfectionist, as someone who felt like it was my responsibility to be a grown-up before I was a grown-up, I did not know how to not be stressed out. No matter how much I removed from my life, there was still, I, the only processing I knew how to do was through stress. And it was uncomfortable to let go of that habit that I'd formed. Like maladaptive coping skills served me for so long that it felt very scary to say, I'm going to let go of control. I'm going to learn to like not be the only grown up all the time. I'm I have to do these things. And I think what's really difficult is that oftentimes we don't realize that's what we're doing because we've always done it. We learned right. in this child brain that's what we needed to do. Yep. Yeah. And so this this self-identification is impossible and all we know then is the tensing right? Mm-hmm. That, that we feel in our body. And if right. someone says to you, well, is that associated with some sort of stress or trauma? Most wow. people are going to be like, oh, I didn't suddenly start to have fibromyalgia when I had, when I was mugged sure. um, because I was never mugged. And so therefore I don't think it's related to stress. Right? right. And it's how does one start to unravel that? What does that look like for someone? A really slow process, and I think that's the the most challenging part for the modern, particularly North American, right? Like, well, I can't speak for Canadians. I think it's really challenging. <laughs> Canadians are are still focused on being sorry. <laughs> so this work is slow. It is really slow, and we live in a culture that, writ large, wants a quick pill, quick fix silver bullets. Like I want, I have too much feelings. I want less feelings, snap fingers, feelings gone now done, which like that's readily available, right? There's plenty of stuff to buffer against feelings with. And when we choose to do the work of nervous system healing, the first and most important thing really is patience because it's got to be slow. The nervous system needs, right? And I think that can, I don't think that, I know that can be frustrating as hell. I mean, so in my own healing work with my own somatic experiencing practitioner, right? Like I go in being like, all right, I want to fix this huge childhood wound. And then we spend an hour barely dancing along the edge of it, right? And we do that because, again, The medial frontal cortex, the awareness part of our brain, our watcher, is constantly scanning us, looking for any slight reason to throw that amygdala break and throw us into sympathetic activation, into fight or flight, into adrenaline, into cortisol. And that is antithetical to the work of healing. And so when we go really slowly, we can start to bear witness to our pain and its impact in our nervous system. We can start to see that, oh, maybe that back pain, maybe that is feelings. And we can back up off it, right? And so this process is called pendulation and titration. So titration here is used like titration anywhere, right? To add something slowly drop by drop. Right. And we do that to not flood the nervous system. Pendulation here means like a pendulum swinging through the air from the thing from one extreme to the other. 
And that's the process with, with which we meet the nervous system and create experiences where the nervous system can feel safe with us. And what that looks like is focusing on the butterfly and then the assault and then the butterfly and then the other drop and then the butterfly and maybe a little more butterfly. You're getting a little activated, a little more butterfly, a little more butterfly, a little more butterfly and then the assault and then the butterfly. Right. And so we show the nervous system that safety is possible. And then we move towards the felt sensation of the yucky, very bad, terrible and come back. And please note that in this process, we don't need to retell the story, right? What I love about somatic experiencing is I, my clients don't need to say anything to me, right? Like I can hold space for what's happening in their nervous system without, I don't need to, I don't need to know the story. I don't need to know what happened when you were six or eight or 48. I just need to show you love and hold space for you and allow your nervous system to do what it's going to do. And that's the work of it, right? Is holding space and allowing the nervous system to do what it wants to do, which really is to come towards healing. Friends, it's the last week I'm gifting you a special surprise. It's my birthday month and I want to give you a gift, but I can't share publicly. So go to realeverything.com slash September for an exclusive offer for podcast listeners. Treat yourself with some safer skincare, self-care. Our needs change with cooler weather and often so does our colored makeup. I'd love to help you switch to safer this autumn. Made with sustainable, fair trade, and skin nourishing ingredients, Beauty Counter is raising up beauty. It's a little luxury that makes a positive impact on our health and the earth. For all of our collective communities through legislative change and giving back, as well as for the earth through sustainable manufacturing practices. We're getting safer products into the hands of everyone, giving back to people and the planet as a certified B Corp. Go to beautycounter.com slash Toth, just like any other website. Don't forget to check out my special private deal just for you listeners. Go to realeverything.com slash September for more details. And when shopping at Beauty Counter, choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, so I can thank you. And I think from personal experience, I've been able to, with that space being held, unearth things that I didn't realize were being yeah. held deep. Yeah. Okay. You might be Ooh. aware of some of the things that are kind of surface level. Right. But when we talk about childhood wounds, this is not to say that everybody had a bad parent. I, I genuinely feel like everybody does the best that they can with the skills that they have. Sure. And nobody is perfect, which means we're all going to have some sort of wound and it might've happened at school. It might've been sure. because your dog died. It might've been because you did have trauma from your parents. Like I, right. I just want to reinforce that this idea of acknowledging that you have trauma doesn't mean that you're telling somebody else that they were a bad person. Cause sometimes sure. that prevents us from right. being willing to, you know, sit with our own feelings because we're too worried about somebody else's. So want to put that out there, but I know for me, when I finally had the safety and a partner who I could say, I mean, I've been married for 22 years and it wasn't until the last three or four that I was able to express my own needs and set my own boundaries for my own healing. And what that looked like in our marriage was very dysfunctional for like two years. We weren't sure we were going to make it because hmm. I was realizing, oh, I'm, we have some messed up relationship here that mm -hmm. I'm fulfilling from the things that didn't go right in my youth and how I've adapted to them. I don't want to continue that behavior because right, it's right. not healthy. That means I need you to not be expecting this and to not be enabling these behaviors. Mm. And that takes, like you said, it takes a lot of time. We had to have patience with one another. We had to know one another's intent. We had to be able to have communication and talk about those things. Yeah. But what it allowed me to do was finally when I felt safe, to get to some of the root of that stuff and be on the other side, like you said, in this pretty dope place where right. I no longer am having a need for 
so much of the food elimination or so Mm. much of the, like the things that I was thinking were helping me all along were really just whether it was psychosomatic or like if that, who knows if that was reducing my inflammation and now I've reduced it another way, like whatever it might be to be in a place where for the first time in like 12 years, I'm eating tomatoes and how Mm. I can like taste a tomato. And I'm like, this reminds me of my, a dish my grandmother made. Like how amazing is it that I can, like I ate a piece of um, grilled corn in the cob last night and was like, I tasted every bite of that. And it was amazing. And it was incredible. Mm. And it was all this like wonderful joy. Mm -hmm. That was like a butterfly for me rather Mm. than like this negativity that I had had to go down for so long. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And I think that's such a great point that somatic practice, when we're buffering against life, when we're using whatever we may use to keep life and emotions at arm's length, doesn't just keep the sad and the scary and the angry and the bad away. It keeps the joy away. It keeps the tomatoes and the summer evening and the true butterfly keeps it all at bay. And Nobody's trying to do that on purpose, but when we open ourselves up to experiencing just a little tiny bit of that sad, a little tiny bit of the joy can squeeze on in too. Yeah, it's a pretty beautiful thing. I would love if you could share. I always like to leave listeners with positive, actionable Mm. suggestions that they can walk away with and Mm work on with themselves. So I know that you have meditations that Mm -hmm. you're offering to listeners. Yeah. That and what other things would you recommend that they can implement after listening to the show? Not feeling overwhelmed by all the things and like, oh, it's not going to happen overnight for me. There is no magic pill I can take. But what are some things that they can start to do in practice? Yeah. Start to slowly, gently raise awareness. Of, of your internal physiologic state. Now, for folks with a history of stress, distress, and trauma, that can be going inside and feeling feelings in your body can be a little too activating. So then just start to, to once a day, feel what the edge of your skin feels like. Just notice it, right? Is it warm? Is it cool? Is there a breeze? How does it feel? Right. And starting to create awareness of our bodies. I don't know about you, but I was very shut down to my body for a very long time. I had keen awareness of symptoms, but was very shut down to feeling my emotions and feeling sensation in my body other than ouch. Can, right? you, can you parse that out a little bit? Because what you just said, I think is really big in that I would have described that I had extreme awareness of my body. I had very good self-awareness of my symptoms. Yes. Which was yes. different than what you're talking yeah. about. Can you, can you okay. just a little more on that? <laughs> okay. So, right. So, oof. Symptoms. I am bloated. My belly hurts. It feels like I have to poop, but I can't. Or my butt hurts because I've been pooping all day. I... Let's see, I'm having joint pain, right? Like it's things that you can make as a statement, like you could say, share as a statement without feeling, without, let me give an example of sensation. I think that may explain what the difference. So let me think of, well, a really easy one is my partner. So I can think of her and I instantly feel like this, like well of bubbles come up through my chest from my belly. Like my whole body feels like champagne. Like it's like all these little bubbles. And there's like this blue green feeling in my belly that is light and effervescent and easy. Yeah. And then my tailbone feels joyful. So it's like the actual felt sensation of an emotion. So the really easy way to get there is, does it have a color? Does it have a texture? Does it have a temperature? Does it have a weight? Does it have a pattern? It can be different than texture. Does it have a smell? Is it radiating? Is it still? And really, I jokingly say to my clients, like, paint, not just paint me a picture, but write me a Victorian novel about it, right? Like, get into such 
absolute detail about the sensation. How would the... Kira Knightley describe it? Thank you very much. That's exactly <laughs> what we're looking for here. It's foolish of Peter Levine to not cite her in his work. I come on now, buddy. But yeah, how would Kira describe it? Right? Like, what is the fainting couch of your emotions? And when we go to that embodied level of connection with the feelings, what we're doing is grounding ourselves in our felt experience. And so we are in the subcortical brain versus having the neocortex, the prefrontal cortex turned on and firing, right? So the prefrontal cortex is, is where executive function lives. And it's what helps us drive cars and write books and emails and do lifings. And it's where story lives. It's where meaning making lives. And so somatic practice is less interested in meaning making and more in felt experience because that's what changes the experience in our nervous system is staying present to felt experience and not dying. And I mean that, right? Again, we don't need to have like a sunshine rainbows pony fest, but staying with the sensation of like, here is some sadness in my belly and I'm still not dead. Okay, let me stay with it for four more seconds. Still not dead. Four more seconds. All right, and that's how we build up our capacity to stay with our feelings. Not even minute by minute, but four seconds by four seconds, right? And what we want to stay with, well, want to is a relative word. What supports our growth is to stay with the sensation and not the thought about the sensation. Is that English? Yeah. And it's really powerful. And I have seen it work really well in a therapeutic setting. Um, So for example, thinking about the dangerous thing, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, it's different for everybody, right? But like a feeling comes up about the dangerous thing and immediately we go to action our body goes to a place of like survival mode which means action and whether that's freezing or fleeing or fighting whatever that is that's the action and instead we're actively telling our brain it is okay to sit with these bad feelings it is okay to be sad and that feels super uncomfortable for a really long time and because your body immediately wants to be safe, whatever. And it again, this could be very different for whoever is experiencing this in terms of my husband has severe social anxiety and he had these things come up walking into a restaurant. He has this stuff trying to like call anybody about anything because that feels super vulnerable to him. Mm. For me, I'm an Enneagram 8. I'll push anybody over verbally or whatever, but I'm also building a wall to keep people out and letting people in feels very unsafe to me. And, Mm. you know, it it looks very different to different Mm -hmm. people, Mm -hmm. but you, I have to be willing. And I have seen it with complex PTSD as well, that when that stuff comes up, it's, I am feeling this feeling and it feels really awful, but I'm going to feel this feeling anyway, instead of moving direct directly into action. Right. Does that, is that an? Absolutely. And I'm feeling this feeling and I'm going to pause and go to the butterfly. Mm. Right. And really fi- not just tell the story of I'm looking at a butterfly. It's on a flower, but feel what happens, what comes up in your body, what the felt experience of looking at that butterfly and that flower what does that feel like in your body? And so we ground the nervous system in that. And then, yeah, let's go to the lousy thing for like four seconds, but for the felt experience, the lousy thing back to the butterfly. Mm -hmm. So yes, not hopping to action, but staying with sensation to sensation back and forth. And for perspective, what's that, what that has looked like in practice for us is like identifying something in the room that we like and just like okay, we're in the sadness. Now we're going to reset. We're going to look at this. Yep. Like whether it's a picture of a memory that you liked, or it's a stuffed animal that feels comforting, or it's looking out the window that yeah. feels like whatever it is. It doesn't have sure. to be a beautiful butterfly or whatever, no. right? It can just be something that feels safe. Like you're literally t- telling your body, okay, here's the safety. Yep. I like hone in on this one thing. Yep. Yeah. And so that's called orienting. 
So orienting the nervous system. So what happens when we have that history of stress, distress, and trauma, it's like there's a bookmark is put into our nervous system, into the timeline of our life. Our amygdala, the fear center of our brain is evolutionarily, it's wicked old is the scientific term. And unless you're on the West coast and then that's hella old, <laughs> also the scientific term. I want to be inclusive. Stacy. it's very that. important to it's me. Thank important. you. Very important. And so my colors of Benetton here. Remember that. Okay. Other conversation. Timelines. The amygdala doesn't know when you are. And so we need to tell it sometimes. So let's say bit by dog. And so you were bit by a dog some point in childhood and it was raining. So you go out for a walk and it's raining. You might be on high alert and you don't even know why. But it's your brain is putting, she's in the same place, the same bad thing is going to happen, right? Because your brain is trying to protect you. And so that's called coupling dynamics. We're going deep right now, but <laughs> we go. Here, I was back. trying to give listeners an easy thing to do, but we're giving you bonus content. Instead. Listen, here you go. <laughs> you get two wicked nervous system nerds together. Nerding's going to happen. But now, once again, we're bragging or I'm bragging for us. Coupling dynamics, timelines, orienting. Your brain doesn't know where you are. And so if one portion of, of your lived experience is overlapping another time when something scary happened, your brain will take you right to there and will then send your body right to there. And so what we get to do, and this is a beautiful, you're asking for solid takeaway skills. Orienting is one of the best ones. And there's an orienting exercise in the meditation suite that I'd like to share with your listeners. I love but, that. So if you head on over to victoriaalbinacom slash whole view, you can download for free orienting exercise, inner child meditation, all sorts of other goodies just for listening to the show. But a way to say thank you for having me here. And orienting is a great tool you can do anytime or place where you find yourself getting activated, getting worried, getting nervous. Like it's a really great thing to do when you're like waiting for the airplane and everyone starts kind of rushing the gate and you're like, we have assigned seats here, right? Like no one's getting, it's not Peter Pan. You're not getting left behind. Like you're going to get on the Greyhound in the sky. That's a great time to orient, right? To look around. And even if you've never been in that airport, what's something that has, we started the show off talking about our favorite colors, right? So can you find your favorite color? What about your favorite shape, right? Can you find a rhomboid? Can you find a texture you really like in your own clothing, right? Maybe you look at your freckles and you find your favorite one, right? It doesn't have to be complicated here, right? But we're just reminding our mind, body, nervous system, hey, hi, it's me, adult me. I'm safe. I'm here. I'm at JFK. It's a hot mess. Everyone's rushing the gate, but I'm fine. I'm totally fine. I'm right here. I'm not a kid. It's not scary. I know it feels scary. It's okay. Right? So we're not negating. We're sharing truth. Right? Nervous system, I know you feel scared. It's okay. You can feel scared. And. Right? It's a yes and. And to bring it full circle, I want to remind listeners, it might not be something that you're aware of yet totally. as affecting your health, whether mm -hmm. emotional mm -hmm. or physical. And we can both attest, but there's a lot of science. I've put multiple links in the show notes for you that show studies on how the somatic practice can improve how we process through stress and trauma, which in turn improves our health outcomes. And you've heard from both of us in terms of like reduced symptoms. And I know you're working with patients and that's what brought you to this work, right? Is, yep. is realizing that the real root of a lot of the things that you were working with people on wasn't really rooted in their physical health but rather how they were processing and holding it in their body. So I just kind of right. want to bring it full picture for people again to say there yeah. is significant science on this and it doesn't yep. have to be one or the other either, sure. right? Like yes. we, can, we can focus right. on different aspects of our lifestyle. We still want you to get good sleep. Oh, we still want goodness. you to get sunshine. We still yep. want you to do all these things. <laughs> um, but hopefully while you're doing those activities, you can be physically present. You can feel the feelings. Mm. You can practice some of these things. Because I yeah. do think it's easier 
when you're doing these things to take care of yourself to then want to do the next best thing to take care of yourself. And so, yeah, I love that. Okay. Well, Thank you so much for joining oh us on the show today. Listeners, I want to remind you, you can go to victoriaalbina.com slash whole view to get those meditations and free resources. You can also listen to the Feminist Wellness Podcast for more great content and at Victoria Albina Wellness on Instagram. I didn't mention it earlier, but I will put a link in the show notes. There was one Instagram reel where you talked about tensing up from stress causing physical Mm -hmm. changes in particular that was really it hit the nose on the head for me as someone who's a recovering perfectionist and I think Mm. listeners will find a lot of um, great content there Mm. that can um, help them as well so we'll put a list of all those resources in the show notes for you at realeverything.com and I also want to remind you that you can head to patreon.com slash the whole view to get all of our shows delivered to your inbox ad free which really is a great way to support the show that we create and produce ourselves. And if you enjoyed the show, leaving us a review would be fantastic. It doesn't cost you anything except about 30 seconds of time. It makes a huge difference in my ability to show up here week after week and continue to do this. And don't forget to follow or subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using. As always, we appreciate your willingness to be open to grow through your own personal changes No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves. Thank you again so much for being here, and we'll be back again next week.